I want to thank Ryan for the first two weeks and his effort, and he's put a lot of effort into all of these, all this part of the series. Our aim, again, is to help you get more out of your Bible study. At the very top of your notes, there's a, re a, a reference to a book called 30 Days to Understanding uh, the Bible. Uh, we would recommend this book to you. It's, you can get it online pretty cheap. You can get a used one for less than $10. You can get one uh, for your Kindle or for your iPad or something very, very cheap. It'll take you through a 30-day process where all the things that we're talking about tonight and other things are referenced as well. And as you go every day through that, your understanding of how to, how to see the Old Testament uh, will really grow and will help you in your understanding of the Old Testament. So if you want to dive into that, you can get this book and that, the, the Read Every Day. I've been doing it now for, uh, for the last week or so, and you can do it in, oh, good night, less than 15 minutes. Uh, you can read it, and then uh, you have it, and uh, you have it as a reference for yourself. And so we recommend uh, that you get that if you're really uh, interested in growing in this. What we want to do tonight is introduce the Old Testament structure to you, give you kind of a historical uh, context, uh, because we believe that as you understand the framework, uh, it's going to help you in your reading. So I'm going to go through some of these things quickly. That's why we have notes for you and have this chart for you so you can take them home and really kind of mull them over as you go through your Bible studies. And when you're reading the Old Testament, you can go back to this stuff and refer to it and kind of help you put it in, in, in the right place and context of what it's about. So that's what we're hoping to, to have happen tonight. The Old Testament itself, it's easy to get confused when you, when you read the Old Testament. Uh, our nature is we like to read a book from front to back, and usually when we get a book, most of the books that we read are in chronological order. And so as you dive into the Old Testament, it starts out in chronological order, but by the time you get to the kings, it's no longer there. In fact, even in some of the earlier writings, there are parallel passages and retelling uh, of stories. But especially as you get into kings and then as you get into the prophets, they're not in chronological order. You, you have to begin to figure out where they fit uh, in the story, and we're going to give you some things tonight to help you do that. Some Bibles, uh, some Bibles that you can purchase will actually have uh, in the, the, at the head of each passage a reference to uh, Ezekiel or a reference to Isaiah or a reference to Jeremiah. And, and you can go there and read what the, what the prophet is writing about the very same events. And if sometimes you're reading through the Old Testament, as you get to Kings, if you'll take the time to do that, it will really begin to open up all of those things, uh, all of those passages to you and you'll have a better understanding of what's going, going on. The other thing is that the Old Testament is ordered in a literary style, much like a library. Uh, so you've got a library of books there, and they're laid out in that kind of a form. Now, I want you to think about this. It wasn't until approximately 200 B.C., about 200 years after the birth of Christ, uh, when the church fathers first... Uh, that should be A.D., 200 A.D., not B.C., when the church fathers 
uh, first referred to the Jewish scriptures as the, uh, as the Old Testament. Uh, so I want you to circle that B.C. and change it on your notes right now. That should be A.D. Uh, when the, that's when the church fathers, the Christian church fathers, began to refer to the, the, the scriptures that we call the Old Testament as the Old Testament. And frankly, in our culture, that doesn't translate well. When we think of new, we think of new and improved. What happened, though, uh, what happened is that through Jesus in the New Testament, there's a, a renewal and a fulfillment of what we call the Old Testament. A fulfillment of the things written in the Old Testament and a new era. The Old Testament shines a bright light on Jesus, confirming, revealing, glorifying, magnifying, and ex explaining and honoring Jesus. We need the Old Testament to get a full picture of the work of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the price that was paid for us, how he should be honored, how we should see him, and how we should know him. We need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not just some, oh, that was for before the New Testament was written, and now we've got this whole new thing. It reveals how the New Testament should work. It reveals how the New Covenant should work. It reveals all of these things to us and what Jesus did for us. So we need to spend time in the Old Testament. Now, one of the common things is this. The people of the Old Testament look forward to Jesus' first coming much like we look forward to Jesus' second coming. They were looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking forward for him to come. And there was confusion, <coughs> excuse me, as they read some of the scriptures of how that, how that coming was going to take place. And we've talked about this a lot. They thought that the first time he came, he was going to set up a messianic rule and rule over all of, overthrow all the governments. They did not understand that he was coming. Many of them did not understand he was coming the first time to pay the price for our sin. That he would come as a lamb in the first coming. Just like people get confused about things that are happening uh, during the end time events and the rapture of the church and you know, the, the restoration of the kingdom of God at the end of the tribulation period. So we need to understand that they're looking forward to, to, to the coming just as we are. And remember, as Dan said, as the video said, Jesus read, quoted, and taught from the Old Testament. As you will see as we look into the New Testament in a couple of weeks, it's built on the truth of the Old so let's take a minute, and I want to just break down some sections of the Old Testament. There's, there's, there's several different theories about this. Uh, I shouldn't say theories, just several different looks. Three primary sections of the Old Testament. One way that it's looked at is the law, the prophets, and the writings. So we have what we call the Torah, 
which is the books of the law. They're the first five books of the Old Testament written primarily by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's one section in the Old Testament. Then there, in this particular one, they talk about the prophets, and they say the prophets begin at Joshua and run through the end of the Bible with the exception of the... I, I, personally, I disagree with that breakdown. I don't think the prophets actually begin till Isaiah. So I'll give you another breakdown here in a second. Uh, the writings and the, are the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ruth. Uh, all of these things come in the writings. And you'll see some of this as you read through, uh, as you read through uh, the book, if you take time to study this book, about 30 days. Another breakdown, this is one that I was primarily taught, and I have a little bit of a problem with this one as well. You have the law. You have the books of history. You have poetry and writing. You have major prophets and minor prophets. Now that's where I struggle at is the major and minor prophets. When they break it down that way, when you hear it broken down that way, you know the difference between the major and the minor prophets, how they define that? By how much they wrote. So the major prophets wrote more than the minor prophets did. So we look at that and we think, oh, they're more important prophets and they're less important prophets. No, one just was given more to write and others were given less to write. So let me give you another breakdown that, that'll help you. Another way to look at it is that the first 17 books of the Old Testament are historical books. The next five books are writings and poetic books. And then the next 17 books are prophetic books. Now we're going to kind of break this down a, a little bit more for us. So let's uh, look at the eras of the Old Testament. And this is what will really help you. And you can begin to look a little bit at the chart, if they'll put the chart up for us. The first era of the Old Testament, we'll look at these eras real quickly. So nine eras of the Old Testament. You've got creation, the patriarchs, exodus, conquest, judges, the kingdom, exile, return, and silence. So let's look at what these mean. The first one is creation. Creation is Genesis 1 through 11. And we kind of sum this up that God creates the world in Adam, but Adam sins and destroys the original plan and design that God had. That impacts all of us to this very day. Sin, rebellion, entered in to the kingdom. That's the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis. And the key events in those chapters are creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. So that's Genesis 1 through 11, and the key person is Adam. So when you're reading Genesis 1 through 11, you're reading about man's first relationship with God and what's happened to man from that. Then we move to the next era. The next era 
is the patriarch era, Genesis 12 through Genesis 50. Uh, The summary of that is that Abraham and his family line are now chosen by God to be a father, uh, to, to father a people to represent God to the world and to unfold God's story of redemption. He's going to move through this specific family to show how he works, to show how he functions, and to bring redemption to people. The key people in this story are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Are you with me so far? The next era is the, is the Exodus. Exodus goes through Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. The summary of this is that through Moses, God delivers the, the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the law. So the key events here are deliverance, And the law, 40 years of wandering. Now, I want to stop here for a second and just remind us, there are three kinds of law that are represented here. This is really important for us to be able to answer questions that people have in our day and age. It's where we really get confused at times because we think about the law. There are three kinds of law represented in this writing. One is ceremonial law. Ceremonial law relates to the priesthood. It relates to sacrifices. It relates to the temple. It it relates to cleanliness. All of them teach us things about Jesus, about how pure he needed to be, about how things were going to happen with him and the relationship that that we're going to have with him They were all fulfilled by Jesus and are no longer binding to us. We don't sacrifice lambs anymore because the perfect lamb has been sacrificed. We're not bound by some of the the ceremonial dressing and actions and some of those things that come out in the ceremonial law of what they needed to do as a reflection of who Jesus was going to be and what he was going to do in our life. We're freed from those things, so we're not walking around dressed like that anymore. The second thing that's that's represented in the law is the civil law. So you've got to remember, in the time of Moses... This was a theocracy. And so they had civil law to take care of. At this time, we are not under a theocracy. We are under a governmental law. These laws, as you read them in the the Old Testament, they are insightful, but they are not binding to us. If some child is rebellious to his parents, we don't take him out and stone him. Right? We're not being rebellious to God to not do that. We're not under the civil law any longer. 
uh, under theocracy. Under a theocracy, we're under civil law. So we go into Romans chapter 13, and we understand that we function under the law of government. And the only time we resist that law of government is when government tells us to break moral law and turns us from godly principles. And sometimes, even in civil law, we, in, in the Old Testament, you will see a, a moral direction that is wise and right for a government to be ruled by. It's just not binding to us to go out and try to enforce it. So, the third law is moral law. This is things like sexuality, stealing, lying. These are still binding to us as we love our brothers. Jesus and his teaching reinforces all of the Ten Commandments with the exception of one. And that's why we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday. Because Jesus was risen from the grave on Sunday, that's the Lord's day, and that's when the New Testament church worships God and comes together as a family of God. The Sabbath was Saturday, and we don't, we're not bound under Sabbath law. So every now and then on a TV show or some you know, person who thinks they're really smart, they'll talk about how the Old Testament, you can't look at the Old Testament and get any kind of direction because it's full of all kind of antiquated things. And they will quote some scripture about mixing fibers or stoning someone. What they're really saying is this, I don't understand the Old Testament. I don't understand it. I don't understand what, the, what, the, what the, was happening then. I don't understand the culture of the day. I don't understand what was going on in civil law and in, and in ceremonial law. I don't understand all of those things. They're, they're really showing their ignorance of, the, of what the, the Old Testament was about. The ceremonial law showing us the way that Christ is going to come in the holiness of Jesus. Civil law keeping order in a day when they're transitioning through, uh, through a theocracy and, and are called to be a holy, righteous people to represent God in that way. And then the moral law, which the church to this very day is still required to follow. And they, mis they misinterpret that. If you understand that, it's going to help you in any discussion you have when you have somebody who's looking at you and they quote some obscure scripture that and, and they, they say, see, the Bible says this. You look it up and say, sure enough, the Bible does say that. What am I supposed, can I have a pork chop or not? Can I have barbecue pork sandwich or am I breaking the law of God? And when you begin to understand these, these, these laws and begin to understand where they fit, you understand the freedom that Jesus gives. And many times in the New Testament, Jesus eradicate some standard of the Old Testament. For instance, uh, the Sabbath was for man, not man for the Sabbath. He turns things around inside of some of the, he, he eradicates many of the ceremonial cleansing process and he, he eradicates some of the food 
restrictions that were on them. He just kind of begins to wipe those away because they, they were about something else. They were about another part of the relationship with God. So when you hear somebody quote that stuff, hopefully this will help you uh, be able to talk to them about it in an educated way. The next era we look at, at the end of that era, is the conquest. And you find this in the book of Joshua. The summary, Joshua leads the conquest of the promised land. The key events in there are the crossing of the Jordan, defeating of Jericho, conquest of Cana, and final, finalizing dominion over that land. Now, I want you to remember this. Much of these things, many of these things, from the crossing of the Red Sea to the conquering of the land, to many of these things are a type, they are a type of God's work in our lives as believers. We, were, we are in slavery to sin. They were in slavery in Egypt. By the powerful hand of God, he set them free from slavery in Egypt. By the powerful hand of God, we are set free from slavery to sin. We put, they passed through the Red Sea, which was a type of baptism that we now become and recognize that we are God's people. So many of these things that happen are a type for us to look at and to see. God has a promised land for us that he wants us to live in even today in his kingdom. We are to go into that promised land in his kingdom, conquer all the things that are ungodly, cast them out of our lives, destroy them in our lives so we can live in the freedom of God. We're not to compromise with them. We're not to make deals with them. We're not trying to be like the world. We're trying to sweep the world out of our life and become like Jesus. And what you see happen is when they don't do that, what happens? When they don't do that, he warns them, if you don't sweep these things out of the promised land, what's going to happen is they're going to tempt you, you're going to be drawn into them, you're going to compromise, you're going to sin, and then judgment's going to come. The judgment that comes is, is meant to drive us back to holiness. And so we begin to see that as we hear the warning of God. I need to clean up my life. I can't go to the places I used to go. I can't I need to talk the way I used to talk. I don't need to think the way I used to think. I need to take these things on and be transformed in the image of Christ. This is what this is all about for us. This is what God is showing us as we remember that these are types of God's work in our life. So now we come to Judges, the era of the Judges. The judges were chosen to govern the people for 400 rebellious years. And it's just amazing how we read judges and they keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And part of the reason for that is because they didn't do what Jesus, what, what God told them to do when they took the promised land. So you see people, we see us 
and we do the same thing. We live in victory for a while, and then we kind of, you know, are thrilled in our victory, and so we kind of relax, and we begin to compromise, and suddenly we're back into something that we shouldn't be in and doing things we shouldn't be doing, and judgment comes, and then we have to cry out. And this, so God shows us this cycle that happens in Judges. And boy, you look at it and think, how can people be that dumb? And then we look at our own lives and go, why do I keep doing this, make the, making the same mistakes over and over and over again? Why do I keep falling into this? It's because I haven't got my life cleaned out the way it's supposed to be. So the end of Judges defines sin for us. It says this at the end of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own sight. <laughs> I mean, that, that just sums it all up. We can't do what's right in our own sight. Our sight is wrong. He said, well, it felt right. It can feel perfectly right when you have a broken, depraved heart and be perfectly wrong. You know, I've, I've had this discussion with young and old. Well, you know, I love her and she loves me and we're going to get married, so what we're doing must be okay. No, no, that's, that's your mind, that's your flesh. That's not the mind of God. That's not the will of God. No, some things wait until that marriage day. You keep your life in the right place. Well, you know, I, I like this guy or I like this guy. I know they're not a Christian, uh, but, you know, hey, it's, it's going to be okay. We're going to work it out after we get married. And I'm just telling you, no, you know, 99.9% of the time, no, you're not. You're going to have trouble after you get married. Because we ignore the direction of God. When we do what's right in our own sight, trouble comes. This is why we need the Bible. This is why we need the Bible. We need the Bible to be that path for us that speaks clearly to us about life. The key subjects and judges are judges, the leaders of Israel, and rebellion. Widespread breaking of God's laws and the cycles of sin, which are sin, discipline, repentance, deliverance, and freedom. So over and over through Judges, you're seeing what happens in our life if we're not obedient to God. Then we come to Ruth, the book of Ruth, which is a part of this, which is a model of a woman who is a follower of God and wants to do what's right. And what happens to her? Then we come to the era of the era of the kingdom, first and second, first, first Samuel's through Second Chronicles, and what we have there is David, the greatest king in the new monarchy, is followed by a succession of mostly unrighteous kings. You know why that happened? That happened because Solomon, and in particular, be, broke the law of God. He intermarried with women from other kingdoms. And they brought their gods into the, this union with them. He was marrying for the sake of treaties and peace when the law had strictly forbidden that. And they brought this in and trained their children up in them. And now rebellion and brokenness begins to follow the rest of the kingdom. Here's a word. Who we let influence us 
leads us someplace. Who we let influence our children leads them someplace. And it's a warning about influence in our life. God eventually judges Israel for her sin. There's eventually a breaking of the two kingdoms. And this is where this whole thing really begins to get complicated. It shows how God deals with his people uh, in, 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 very spe- in very specific ways. Now, I want to I really help you with one thing here. God deals with his people differently than he deals with his let me see if I, I write, wrote a good word down for this. He deals with the individual differently than he deals with Israel or the church. Listen, no matter what Israel does, God's going to fulfill his promise to Israel. It's got to be fulfilled. No matter what the church does, God will continually raise up a new people who will be holy and follow after the teachings of God. No matter how liberal the church comes, no matter how broken some places the church come, no matter how much they accept the culture and are led by the culture, God will always raise up a remnant that will be holy and pure. He'll always do that. That's what we see, and that's his message to us through Israel. Now, some people want to write that up and say, well, see, then, uh, you know, we are absolutely predestined to be protected and, and no judge. Listen, how he deals with, a, with his promise to a group is different than how he deals with the individual. People were judged. People died. People were carried off into captivity. Things happened to people that were never intended by God to happen, but their rebellion led them to judgment. So I can't sit there and say, oh, here's some promise to the church so I can do whatever I want to and it's going to be okay. No, 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 no. God will protect the church, but he'll judge us as individuals inside of it. Are you with me tonight? This will help you as you go through this and you look at how God's dealing. So here are the key periods. There's the United Kingdom. We read about the United Kingdom in 1st and 2nd Samuel. Then at the end of Solomon's life, we get the divided kingdom. And we begin to read about the divided kingdom in 1st Kings, where we now have Israel and we have Judah. The northern kingdom... We read, about, we read about parts of the northern kingdom in 2 Kings, and then we read about parts of the southern kingdom. So as you're reading through 2 Kings, you've got to take note, who's he talking to? Who's he, who's he, he's talking to, to Israel, which is the biggest part of the kingdom, and he's talking to Judah, which is a smaller part, of the kingdom, and he keeps bouncing back and forth between these kingdoms and what's going on inside of them. And Israel almost immediately falls into idolatry because they're afraid of the people doing what the Scripture says, what they've been instructed to do, going back to Jerusalem and worshiping God in Jerusalem the way they're supposed to. And because they ignore that, they almost immediately 
fallen to idolatry. Then we come, uh, through, through that time, there is now, uh, in the kingdoms, there is a, a time when Israel, the, t- the, the, the group that followed in, in, that ki- in that part of the kingdom, are captured and carried off into slavery. Judah lasts longer, but eventually they will be carried off into slavery. So now when you get to Ezekiel and Daniel, you're reading about the period of the exiles. Now, in the period of the exiles, you've got Daniel who gives leadership, encourages them in faithfulness, and encourages them that the promise of God is coming their way in the next 70 years. Key to visions. You've got prophecy, you've got Jeremiah, you've got the prophets of Ezekiel and Daniel, and the exiles and the power change that happens inside of all of that. Then we come to the return, and we read about the return in Ezra through in Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah. This is all about when they're in exile and God preparing them, protecting them, keeping them, and bringing them back home as a people because he's going to keep his promise to Israel. He's going to keep that promise. And he's going to raise up a remnant of people and bring them home and reestablish uh, Israel once again. And at the end of, at the end of all of this, uh, as, as we look at this, you've got Ezra and Nehemiah. They lead the people back from exile and rebuild Jerusalem. And so the key subjects are subjects like disrepair. So whenever there's a renewal even in the church, the first thing that happens is there's got to be a repair. We've got to go back to biblical holiness, to biblical righteousness. So the church, what we see in this cycle is the church, if it doesn't stay holy, begins to compromise with the world, and before long we're under the same bondage as the world is. We're, we're living in the same way as the world. And, and all of a sudden you look inside the church and it doesn't look any different than the world. The sexual morality doesn't look any different. They've accepted things that the Bible has condemned as wrong. All of a sudden there's drunkenness inside of the church. All kinds of things become, begin to come. And, and we're back in bondage. And when you come back into that bondage, God's promise is that he's going to raise up a faithful church and he begins to move in people's hearts who are really hungry for them, for him, and they come out of that and they are called to rebuild the walls of holiness that protect us from the world. And we have to come back to, I'm going to take that out of my life. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to look at those things. We've got to let the walls be rebuilt in our life. And so you begin to see the, the, the disrepair and the temple being rebuilt which is a symbol of our hearts and our righteousness being rebuilt in Christ Jesus as we begin to function in holiness and let the, let the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. And uh, you, you see the, the resurrection of a people beginning to work and the walls being restored and the work being completed. And at the end of all of this, we see a period of silence between the two Testaments. No new prophetical speaking from God for 400 years. Jewish scriptures are completed and canonized. 
Pharisees and other religious groups begin to enslave the Israelites in legalism. Pride grows with legalism. Arrogance grows with legalism. Key subjects that are happening during those 400 years is a changing of rule. Persia rules for a while. The Greeks rule for a while. Rome rules for a while. Political sex sex, uh, rises up. The Maccabeans uh, come, come into place and the zealots come into place and religious sects like the Pharisees and the Sadducees come into place and yet there's still messianic hope that someday the Messiah is going to come. Now, quickly, and I want to get through this quickly tonight, where do the other books fit? We have the books of poetry and wisdom. So as we look on our chart, you'll see where, where most theologians believe that Job was where the story of Job took place is during the period of creation and the patriarchs. So sometime in the period of Genesis. So it's way out of order, historic chronologically. But that's where most people believe that 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 story uh, really, really fits. The Psalms were written primarily in 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel. During that era and that period of time, we begin to see the Psalms during the kingdom of God. So David wrote a lot of those. Solomon wrote some of those. Uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastic, Song of Solomon were written uh, during the times of Second Chronicles and First Chronicles during the era of the kingdom. And Esther was written during the time of Ezra and during the time of exile. So, uh, let me break this down a little bit to help you. During the time of 2 Kings and the divided kingdom, Israel was in play and two, as, a, as part of the kingdom, the one that would be carried off first. Hosea and Amos are written to Israel. To Judah was written Habakkuk, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, and Lamentations. To Assyria was written Jonah and Nahum. And to Edom was written Obadiah. Now, if you'll take time and go through some of these Bible studies that we're giving you, you'll you'll begin to understand that things like Edom came from Esau. And God still had promises to them that he had given to Esau and to his lineage. And you'll begin to see some of those things and begin to relate. Okay, this is why he's writing this way. This is why this is taking place. When you begin to see where all those things take place and their response at times to to Israel. During the exile, we have the book of Ezekiel and Daniel. During the rebuilding, you have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And so as you're reading through those, if you'll take time to look on our chart that we've given you, it'll help you know the time period that's going on and what's going on in the rest of the Bible when you're reading this part of the story and the prophets. What group of people is he talking to? Why, is it, why are they talking that? Well, what's going on around all of that? And it'll help you put all of those things together. Now, let me wrap this up and we'll go home.
uh, understanding the Bible. When you read a passage, you, read, you want to say, what, what do we learn about God in this passage? What do we learn about God? So in some passages, we learn God's a deliverer. In some passages, we learn God judges. In other passages, we learn that God is holy. You know, we learn that God is all-powerful. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? And in some passages, we learn that people make the same mistakes over and over again if they're not careful. And then we learn about people that when they're holy and they desire God, he puts his hand upon them and blesses them. What do we learn about relating to God? And what do we learn about relating to others? That's some of the questions we need to ask ourselves as we're reading through big passages of Scripture. Okay, I'm reading through this. What am I learning about God? What am I learning about people? What am I learning about relating to God? And what about others? Now, applying it. What does God want me to understand? How is he bringing? Why do I need to know about the walls of Jericho? Why do I need to know about the crossing of the Red Sea? Why do I need to know about David facing Goliath? What is God teaching me about my relationship with him? What does God want me to believe when I read these stories? What does God want me to desire when I read these stories? And what does God want me to do when I read these stories? When I read through here, where do I want to land? You know, where do I want to be? Do I want to be a part of rebellion or do I want to be a part of righteousness? Do I want to be a part of the pure-hearted towards God, or do I want to be doing it on my own? So, we're going to continue next week. We're going to wrap this up tonight. We're going to continue next week just in helping you get a grip of these, the, 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 the structure of the Old Testament. So I hope tonight's helped you do that. I hope you take these notes home, and as you are reading through your Bible study in the Old Testament, please don't neglect the Old Testament. I'll tell you how I try to do it. Some people read through the Bible in a year. That's great. Some people skip around and do different things. I Personally, I try to read through the Old Testament uh, at least once a year. I try to read through the Psalms and Proverbs, you know, five to 12 times a year. But I try to read through the rest of it once a year. And I try to read through the New Testament uh, about four times a year. And we'll talk about some of the reasons for that. One, just the Old Testament. So I, I want to capture things in the New Testament that I need to capture. My call to you is don't neglect it. As we've talked, as, as Ryan talked last week, get a good study Bible that'll help you understand. Take tools like this. Excuse me. Get this book on 30 days to understand the Bible. Take 30 days and go through it for 15 minutes every day. And it will begin to enrich your reading of the Bible. And then when you come to a book, you'll be able to go back to some resources like this or like that and look at it again and say, okay, I want to be refreshed before I go into this book. What is this about? And we're going to be sharing some other resources that will help you do that as well. But this will just help the Old Testament come alive to you and you'll begin to see Jesus in it more and more and more. 
And at the end of the day, it's about us seeing Jesus rightly, isn't it? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we've walked through a lot of things quickly tonight, and I just pray that this will uh, enrich your, your, your fellowship, help us to be great students of your word. I thank you for the men and women who come here tonight, and I ask you to bless them. Bless them with new understanding of your word. Help us to understand things clearer and better. Help us to grab a hold of the tools that will help us understand things better and better. And because of it, Father, let us watch, walk in the richness of your blessing as we follow and serve you. Do this for us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Sunday, we wrap up our series on the blessed life. You don't want to miss Sunday. And then Sunday night, we're going to have uh, tr traditional, traditional worship time together. And it's going to be a great night of worship. Come and worship with us Sunday night. Love you all. Go in the name of the Lord. May his joy be in your heart.